0: Alright, so where we've been the last couple of weeks, uh, good news of great joy going through Luke 1 and the Christmas narratives pertaining especially to Mary. Week number one, uh, just a recap again for us, to helpful, uh, God's plan is here. So week number one, the, the, the plan of God announced the angel Gabriel to Mary, and then from God's plan we went to now the package. The package has arrived, and I say this with great endearment. Uh, these names right here, Mary, Liz, and J the B. Can I do that? I just did it. So, but with great endearment and affection and reverence as well. So now we see Mary meeting with Elizabeth. Of course, John the Baptist and Elizabeth, tummy, and Jesus even being formed, again, just maybe a few days in, in the womb of Mary. And to understand that the plan of God has been announced, and the package, Christ has arrived, technically, in Mary's womb. And now we see this. When you, when you know God's plan... And when you understand that God's package has been delivered, well, here's what happens, okay, right? Here's our whole message, right? Here we go. Um, perspective. Perspective occurs. And perspective is so powerful. Um, perspective is that which allows us to clean the mud off the windshield. Have you ever tried to drive with a dirty windshield? It gets pretty tough and dangerous, okay? Perspective, biblically, cleans our windshield that we might see where we are supposed to go. Um, perspective is so powerful biblically, it's like a compass. Um, If you've been lost at times, you're trying to find a sense of direction and you have no tools to help you, uh, that you get very uneasy. Biblical perspective, God's will perspective is like a compass that, that, that guides us in life. And we must have this perspective to make sure we're, we know where we're supposed to be going. And then what we also find today in, in this passage of Mary's song, which is so beautiful, we find that perspective promotes, listen, promotes right feeling. It's God's perspective that leads to a healthy emotion in line with God's will uh, from his word that lets us understand we are on his path And then we express, it comes from our lives. Um, Many of us right now, uh, we have wrong emotion. Remember, when it comes to feelings, they are lousy leaders, but great followers. We must get out in front with fact, and we say this a lot around this church, fact, faith, feeling. That's the right order. Don't reverse that. I want to show you from God's Word right now, uh, this progression found in Scripture from Mary's life. So Luke chapter 1 just before we officially get to our text, I wanna show you the power of perspective in Mary's life with chapter one as a whole. And this is a good thing to do with scripture. You can be in a verse, you can be in a paragraph, you can be in a chapter as we are right now. Now look at Luke chapter one, verse, verse 31. Gabriel says to Mary, and behold, Luke 1 and you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now notice, that's fact. Gabriel just presented Mary with fact. You will give birth to the Son of God. Now, all of us, even today, if it's your first time in church ever, you're gonna be presented with fact today, the truth of God. It's what we do with the fact. Do we place our faith in the fact? Do we disregard the fact? Do we ignore the fact? Well, that's gonna lead to a bad setting. But when you place your faith in the truth, look at now verse 38. Luke 1, verse 38. And by the way, as we're going through this, like in my Bible, I have faith or fact written beside verse 31. I got faith written beside verse 38. And I'll show you where feeling is in just a second. I want to do that because I come back to it. I'm like, oh, yeah, right. And I get encouraged by it. I think one of the first times I saw it was 10 years ago. And now I hear again, and I'm like, awesome, okay? Verse 38. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Uh, Let it be to me according to your word. What did Mary just do? She applied faith to God's facts. She says, I believe, God, you are right. I believe your word is true. And I'm going to live my life according by faith on the fact that has been presented to me. Now, whenever there's true fact and faith is placed in that fact, then we see this, feeling, right emotions will follow. At times they take a while, it's up to the Lord. But at the same time, we can know we will have right feeling by faith placed in God's fact. Notice the feeling, verse 46 and 47 now. And Mary said. Now as we come to this, this is her song. This is her magnificat, okay? It's called Mary's magnificat because the Latin word for magnifies is that. Magnificat, okay? It's the the explosion... As you walk with Mary through this, Mary is a 13-year-old teenage peasant girl. She's a nobody from nowhere. She has no renown. She is not popular on any level. She's just a she, she's just she's a, a young teenage girl in a in a in a kind of a, a desolate place. No one has a clue who she is. And God shows up at her door and says, by the way, you've been chosen to give birth to the Son of God. And you're just like, what in the world? Like, you're just trying to take all this in. And so there you are, and you receive this message. You believe this message. You go visit your cousin, who confer- Elizabeth, who confirms this message, who's also pregnant miraculously with John the Baptist. Just, again, if, if you're Mary... Imagine the building up of emotion. Imagine the building up of wonder. Imagine the building up of praise. And we get to verse 46, and what we see is a volcanic eruption of glory, of praise, of joy, listen, from perspective. Mary's perspective is so strong. Her realization of God is so real. She's so acutely aware of what is happening with her life and the glory of her God. The only logical response at this point seems to be to burst out in song and praise to her God. That is the power of perspective. It awakens us. It clears out our grogginess. It Listen, it splashes living water on our faces. I mean how many of us could use some living water splashed on our faces right now? Probably a lot of us. I mean, like, let's just, like, I know the world we live in, man. Like every day, I'm battling with the temptation towards apathy. Every day, I'm battling with the reality of my own wretched, sinful state within my heart, longing to do things that displease God. Every day, I walk around the lives that present us in this world and trying to be lured and lulled to sleep by again the practices of frivolous activity that surround us all the time, which in the end lead to absolutely nothing. I get it, man. I'm in it too. And so to understand, though, the power of living water being, being washed upon us again that we might see and hear and live, that's the love of God. That is what's happening with Mary right here in Luke chapter 1 in her Magnificat. Let's read our passage. Luke 1 verse 46, and Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked upon the humblest state of his servant, for behold, from now on, All generations will call me blessed, she says. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty. Hear the sovereignty of God in these verses. Exalted those of humble estate, has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. I mean, what a, what a passage. I'm excited to go through this with you right now. We're gonna, we're gonna find out this, the power. Why, why is perspective so powerful? Four main reasons from our text today. Why should I care and why should I love to see perspective grow in my life? Well, point number one, reason number one is this, because it gives birth to my passion. Perspective gives birth to my passion. Uh, You want passion today? Well, if you do, you gotta pay attention, okay? You gotta pay attention. Again, Gabriel spoke to Mary, Mary met with Elizabeth, now Mary is, is, is exploding with praise and passion, and notice it comes forth in a song. A song of praise. Now, a small tangent right now, but a irresistible tangent to me as a preacher and pastor of this church, okay? Notice inherently within the Christmas narrative how important, again, singing songs are to the heart of God. And singing and songs should be to the people of God. If you take the Christmas narrative itself, think of this little Bible, I like Bible trivia at our home. This is a good Bible trivia. Can you name the four main songs of Christmas? Okay? And they're all found in Luke chapter one and two. four songs. We have Mary's song here before us today. You turn the page over, there's Zechariah's song. You turn that page over, you have the angel song, Glory to God in the Highest. And then you turn that page over, and you have Simeon's song. So within a couple of chapters containing the narrative of Christmas, almost exclusively, apart from Matthew's gospel a little bit, you have here songs dominating the Christmas scene, which is telling us yet again, how important singing is to the Lord. And gotta step back far enough to see this. In the in the in the event of these massive historical biblical events that have changed the entire world, it seems the only proper response in this kind of importance is to sing. Because the ultimate design of music and song has been created by God to elevate his glory and to give him praise. Music at its highest moment is to sing the praises of the Lord. Listen, lovers, that's why singing in church is such a big deal. Sing, we, don't, we don't do the initial song package and stuff within just to pass some time so people can find their way into their seats as they're late for church. That's not why we do that. We're singing because it is the invention of God to give him glory. It's the response of God's people in the overflow of their lives. I know it's hard to imagine sometimes. That's what it's supposed to be. This is the all of heaven's gonna be. Remember, no preachers in heaven. Praise the Lord. Okay? <laughs> There's going to be a whole lot of worshipers in heaven. In fact, Revelation chapter 5, I read it this week. Throne room scene. Jesus opens the title to the only one worthy. The lamb that looked as like though he was slain. The lion of the tribe of Judah. And he opens the seal. And the four living creatures and the 24 elders at that moment, they fall to the ground. And the Bible says, and they sang a new song. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive glory and power and honor and majesty. They sang a new song. If you don't like new songs in church, you're leaving the Holy Spirit behind a little bit or he's, he's left you behind a little bit. A new song, there's never a command, sing a Lord to the old song. Old songs are great. New songs are also great. Singing to the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ is part of our whole purpose and this should be a natural thing that's occurring within our lives. The blessing of song. And by the way, let me just say this, as there's some conviction right now. Let me, just, let me just encourage you, okay? I love hearing you sing. We should all love hearing. It's one of the blessings of sitting in the front row so often. I get like the thunderous volume of, of this church that sings. Now the back row it's a little bit tougher back there, Okay? No offense, all right? But in the front row, you get to you get to kind of feel the way our worship leaders tell me all the time, they take out the earpieces to hear the people sing. It's one of their greatest encouragement. Guest worship leaders come and without fail they will comment. Man, this church sings. And I'm like, yes. Okay? Why? <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5. When we are filled with God's Spirit, one of the great evidences we are filled by God's Spirit is we make melody to the Lord with our heart. We sing spiritual songs of praise. One of the workings that God is alive. Listen, you can be in trial, you can be in suffering, and especially then you start to sing Paul and Silas in prison. You could be on a mountaintop. You could be having a great day or a terrible day. All the more reason to sing to the one who lifts us above any and all circumstances. That's the praise and the glory of understanding the value of a song which Mary is living out before us right now. Jesus Christ, elevated and honored, with our lives as we sing. Now, a bit of a tangent, but I like that tangent, all right? Now back to our text here. Notice Mary does this in her song. She starts off by saying, my soul magnifies. Magnifies. Um, to magnify is to make great. Think of a magnifying glass. It's kind of like, that's the idea that we're going for. You get out a magnifying glass, and you, you magnify an image to see it more clearly and more detail. Uh, A microscope, that's the same thing. You can magnify an image in a microscope two times, five times, ten, a hundred times the magnification to see the immense detail of what's going on. Mary says, my soul makes great. My soul enlarges God. She's not making God change in size. She's seeing more and more the size of God. She's starting to see just how awesome her God is. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices. Uh, That word means extremely glad or joyful. Rejoices in God, um, my Savior. So just imagine that here. You see, then, one of the callings of our lives is to make the Lord great. Question, question, what are you making most great, enlarged in your life right now? Is it a hockey practice? Is it a paycheck? Is it a certain television series you're super excited about? Is it an aspiring career? Like, what are we magnifying the most within our lives? Now, let me just say this. The reason a lot of us are not joy-filled, the reason a lot of us find ourselves in places of great gloom or grumpiness is because we're trying to magnify that which will never, ever satisfy us. See, in the text itself, magnify the Lord, rejoice with joy. So the magnifying of God is what leads us to joy. The more we are satisfied in the Lord Jesus Christ, then the more joy we have within our lives. Wherever John Piper is, he just said amen. All right? If you know who he is, that makes sense. If not, you have no idea. Never mind. On to the next. All right? The whole point is, the more we make a much of God, the more his reality becomes ours, and the joy that fills our lives. Mary is living this out. Why? Because of her perspective. The power of perspective... That lifts us. So you know, I've been in so many planes over the years, and you get in a plane, it's raining, it's it's gloomy, it's cloudy, it's depressing. You take off, and all of a sudden you come across the clouds, and the sun is shining, and you're like, Oh yeah, the sun still shines, even when it's raining down here. Because the sun is above our clouds. But you look around, you're like, oh, depressing, depressing. Then you get above the clouds and you're like, the sun is still shining. Praise the Lord, right? Perspective does that within our lives. Even though it's raining and gloomy, the right perspective lifts us up above the clouds to see and gaze upon the sun. I met with a man this week in our church who was who living this, this, this out, really, this message exactly. I was really blown away by it. I went to visit, um, his name's John Sturba. I'll show you a picture in just a second, just a second. And uh, he's been battling cancer for over 20 years, and it's gotten very, very serious in recent days. And he was um, admitted to the hospital uh, this week and he was coughing up blood and whatnot and it looks like he's going to be staying at the hospital and moving into palliative care. And, um, and I just want to show you a picture. I visited John this week. Here's a picture I took with him in the, in the hospital. Many of you will know John Sturby, He's captain of our welcome team, uh, served in our church since the very moment this thing began. Humble man, lovely man. In fact, he's watching right now on live stream. So you are so loved, John, and this whole church blesses you right now where you are. And so we love you. Amen. 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 Thank you for loving him like that. That'll bless him so much. And um, so, I was talking to John, and he didn't know what I was preaching on, like like this weekend. I was just listening to him, and I was just like, uh, quickly being overcome by what I was witnessing in front of me, just based on the the whole passage that's been flowing through my heart and mind. And... um, So he's having a really hard time talking now physically, tumors that are impacting him, and now his vocal cords in the back, and it's just really painful. And so he's starting to write more and more on a whiteboard. And this is what he wrote down with me as he's kind of facing the end of right now. He wrote this down. He goes, "Uh, the worldly distractions are becoming very small, and God is becoming very big. And I'm I'm just like, I'm like, man, John, that's like the whole sermon this weekend. I said, can I take a picture of that? Because I want to make sure this, like, this is what blows me away from this is here, here is a, a dear, dear friend, brother in Christ, who has received very, very difficult news his, but all, all of a sudden, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the reality, all of a sudden, the things of the world will strangely lead him. All of a sudden, his God becomes what this is perspective, personified. This is what's happening. And I saying to him, it's like he's having a hard, hard time even, even talking and being able to be understood. So he's writing. And I said, John, because I just saw it happening in front of me. Isn't it ironic that at the time, and this is the ways of God, at the time you're having the most difficult to speak, your voice has never been louder. Like even right now, his impact of this statement upon y'all this weekend. That's how God works, isn't it? And the glory and the power of perspective as it flows through our lives, to see so clearly. Because what I saw in John, Brother John, this week, I looked at him and I just, I was so convicted. And I was just like, I'm just seeing nothing else matters now. All that stuff doesn't matter. All those things that used to matter, it doesn't matter anymore. What matters is the Lord. What matters is His way. What matters is His glory. What matters is living for Him. And the freedom then to be able to do that because you see so clearly. I'm telling you, the reason our lives can become so stagnant and we're bounding our head off the wall over and over again, because we can't see. We've been blinded by the Spirit and the God of this world. And our lives become ineffective and unfruitful. But when we see clearly, it gives birth to. Pa- John had me in tears this so week because the passion I saw in him in the midst of such a, a tremendous, I mean, Tremendously difficult situation. But look at the Lord and look at what he does. And then you have Mary here, man. She's, she's seeing as clearly as she's ever seen before. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Oh, God, grant that to us. Holy Spirit, grant that to us. Please, please, Lord. We can't do without you. We can't do this without you. Magnifying the Lord can be tough, man. It can be hard. I'm telling you, though, I'm telling you, your intentional decision here's one of the things about magnifying the Lord is, right? If you sit on your spiritual couch as a sloth day after day, man, God's not going to like force you to do it. Like at some point, you got to take some initiative. At some point, you got to seek him. At some point, you got to obey. At some point, you have to choose to say out loud, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, even when you don't feel it. But to say it by faith and praying, the feelings then would come as you base your faith on what is fact. How many times this week, man? I've been in a battled state. I've been going through so many different ups and downs in different ways, and I sense the opposition among us. I sense the battle. I sense the great accuser, Satan. All that stuff. I sense the wretchedness of my own sin. I see it. I hate it. My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. My soul magnifies the Lord because the more I magnify Him, and the more, the more, the more life comes into focus. Thank you for your grace, Lord. Thank you for forgiving. People like me who fail you every day. And your kindness and your love is so steadfast and your patience and your mercy. And you will give passion again to those who trust you and seek you and seek to see you as you deserve to be seen. This is the power of perspective. Number two. Perspective's so powerful because it accentuates my blessing. Okay, I want you to notice, okay, Mary here moves or at least what perspective does is we learn here, perspective moves us from grumpiness to gratitude, from complaining to celebrating, from haughtiness to humility, from self-centeredness to selflessness, from entitlement. You go from saying, I deserve all this, to be like, I don't deserve anything, I'm unworthy. From bemoaning our lives, to saying, I'm so blessed. I'm so blessed. Look Look at verse 48. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Wow, for behold, now on all generations will call me, me, me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Can you believe it? It's like Mary saying, can you believe it? This mighty and holy God, he's done great things for me. Peasant girl from Nazareth. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. So I wanna highlight three main blessings of God that Mary is speaking of here. It'll be on the screen beside me. I want you to see this, uh, number one, notice the blessing of God's attention, of God's attention, for he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant Mary, is saying, in all generations will call her blessed. This is one of my favorite places to be. It hurts. You say, what kind of place? It's a place of, of brokenness and awe when you see God's grace that is applied to a wretch like me. Okay, here's what I know, Okay. I know apart from Jesus Christ, I'm in hell. And I deserve to be. I know apart from, I mean, really, when you really start to unpack the sin of my life, oh my goodness. And even like today. I deserve eternal punishment for my hatred against God and my love of self and my pursuit of everything that seeks to satisfy me and me alone, and my anti-Christ past, and anti-gospel, and just idolatry of man. I deserve to die. I deserve it. And yet, what have I been given? In Jesus Christ alone, and by His grace, And because he gave his son at Christmas to die for my sins ultimately and to be raised from the dead, I have now been given grace and mercy and forgiveness and cleansing. I'm adopted into the family of God. I am a sheep who belongs to the good shepherd. I am guaranteed, again, the pathway to heaven. I will never die. I mean, really, when you hold those two things up, as a mentor taught me many years ago, what do you receive and what have, or what do you deserve and what have you received? And you start looking at what you deserve and you say, What I received, and you're just like, Wow, I'm blessed. Like, you're not holding your hand out now as the genie for Jesus and saying, Give me, give me, give me, give me. You're like, Is there anything else I could possibly receive than what I've been granted already in Jesus Christ? This is where Mary's at. Mary's like, God's looked, His attention has been set upon me. And by the way, Mary says in verse 47 "Uh, My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Why would Mary, just if there's any, 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 any people, maybe from a Catholic background in the room, or we have friends and loved ones, why would Mary call Jesus her Savior? Because she's a sinner. A sinner doesn't need a Savior. Or a sinless person doesn't need a Savior. A sinner needs a Savior. right? So we don't worship Mary. We don't pray to Mary. We don't venerate Mary. Mary's not some co-redemptrix along with Jesus Christ, Mary, if she could speak right now, and she is, she would say, man, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Don't look at me. Look at Jesus. Mary's to be honored. Mary's to be followed in her example of worshiping Christ as our Savior. But don't pray to her. Don't worship her. She would hate that. Mary is a sinner like you and I who sees the reality of the only Savior of the world which happens to be, again, her son Jesus Christ who for some reason that we don't understand God chose her among the billions of women who ever lived and allowed her, a peasant from Nazareth a nobody of nowhere and no one to be chosen, not because of her merit because of God's grace that she could be used in this way and after Christ is born Mary still becomes a nobody She's a child of God, she's a sister in Christ. But so are we. You see, it's the fact that God's attention has been upon her, it blows her away. All generations will call me, she's like, me, me? She's not like, we'll call me blessed. Yeah, me, look at me, no, no, no. She's like, me, I can't believe it. I'm this 13 year old girl from nowhere, me? Unbelievable, look how awesome God is. That's what's happening in the text right here. That's what perspective does. And you and I, in our right frame of mind, we should walk around, if we're alive in Jesus, not everyone's alive in Jesus Christ right now, you can be, you can be by grace through faith. We will, who are alive in Jesus Christ, we should walk around right now and be like, me, me, I'm saved, I can't, be looked upon." me? That is awesome, I love this thought. The moment Jesus Christ returns, I believe this is gonna happen in some form, in some way, Jesus is God, and he can do whatever he wants. How exactly, I don't know I believe it on some level Jesus Christ returns for those remaining on the earth or when you again when you enter into heaven and see him face to face all of us on some level live in Jesus Christ there will be a moment where the gaze of Jesus will meet ours his eyes will lock with ours his his fixed attention his infinite gaze of love It's going to happen. He'll lock eyes with you. He'll lock eyes with me. And he'll say, whether audibly or communicate spiritually, and he will be, You are mine. And all of eternity will burst from you as you fall down and worship and understand that you belong to the Father because of the Son who lived and died and was raised from the dead. And when those eyes meet yours, oh, what a moment that will be. And that is not an exaggeration of some fantasy. That is biblical truth and reality is coming to every person because you can say, is there any greater blessing than having the eyes of the Savior of the world look at me and communicate that I belong to the kingdom of heaven and the family of God because of what he has done. Let me ask you, what do you want for Christmas this year? You've gotten everything already. There's nothing more you could ever receive than what was just described to you in Jesus Christ. The power of understanding how much we are blessed in him. Mary's going through this, man. She's like, whoa. My soul magnifies, the Lord. I rejoice because he has looked upon me. And all generations will call me blessed. I want you to see the blessing also. I want you to see here God's goodness. God's goodness. Verse 49. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Notice, he who is mighty, God almighty, and then the God who is holy, and then sandwiched in between this, is like, he's done great things for me. Can you sit here right now and say, God has done great things for me? I mean, you should be able to, if you're alive in Jesus Christ, from what you just heard, man, like every single one of us should be like, that's pretty great. In fact, this is the mindset of all the greatest saints who have ever lived. Uh, Psalm 8, David says, what is man, O God, that you are mindful of him? What is man that he's mindful of us? What is the son of man that you would care for us? Why would you care for us, God? Why would you care for us? David also says in 1 Samuel, he says, who am I? I, love, I just love these verses. Who am I? And what is my house that you've brought me thus far? Isn't that a powerful thing to say? That you could stand before the Lord where you are, representing your house, and be like, who am I? Who am I? And what is my house? Who are we? Who are we to have come this far on any level at all? Who are we to know Christ? Who am I to have a wife that loves the Lord? Who am I to have children being raised in the ways of God? Who are we? what is this? And you have brought it. What, what is this? It's all grace. It's all blessing. It's all undeserved, unmerited, unwarranted. Grace and goodness of God. See, when you see with perspective, all of a sudden, man, you're not complaining, you're celebrating. Man, you're not grumpy, man. You, you, you are so grateful. Could you be any more blessed in the reality of Jesus Christ and the gospel. That's the heart of Christmas right there. God's attention, God's goodness, God's, God's mercy. Look at verse, verse 50. And his mercy. By the way, um, all through this song, Mary, is, it's, it's riddled with scripture. It just shows you like Mary was trained in the word. Like, like the Holy Spirit is using what was in her. You get saturated with the word, and when the time comes, the Holy Spirit lifts from your soul what you have placed within it. I've stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Right? And here's Mary and the Holy Spirit. Every verse basically is some kind of reference to other scripture. And verse 50 is a reference to Psalm 103. The mercy of God. And mercy is not getting what we deserve. Christmas is ultimately getting what we don't deserve, the grace of Christ coming, but then Jesus Christ dying on the cross, bearing our punishment, that we would not get what we deserve, punishment and wrath upon us. Where grace and mercy meet. And see Mary, she sees so clearly, she sees so clearly and she's like, wow, God is so good. God is watching me and God has given his mercy to me. Perspective takes us to number three. Perspective is so powerful. I love this because it shout out. it shouts out God's sovereignty. When I see clearly, I see that God's on his throne and He is sovereign. So um, notice this in verses 51. To 53. And by the way, notice too, all throughout this text, um, eight times Mary says, he has, he has, he has, he has, he has. I mean, who's ruling? God. Who's in control? God. Who's sovereign? God. Who's the one going to orchestrate the events of then and now? God. Who's control of the future? God. He has, he has, he has, he has, he has. Now, I borrow this from Kent Hughes. I loved it so much, okay? I want you to notice three things that shout out God's sovereignty in verses 51, 52, and 53. First of all, And verse 51, notice, okay, under God's sovereignty, there's going to be a moral reversal. You say, what do you mean? Well, verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm, and he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. So, in our day, the proud... Um, are in positions. The proud exalt themselves. Uh, think of the celebrity culture we live in. Think of just those who are promoted. Think of the people uh, in positions of authority. Um, the, the proud are the ones who get the attention. The proud are the ones who seem to have all the favor, okay? What, what, what Mary is prophesying right here, okay? And in the past, this has happened all through Scripture and will continue. God is sovereign. There will be a moral reversal. Meaning, the proud ultimately, they will be humbled eternally. And the humble will be exalted eternally. Loved ones, take encouragement from this. God is sovereign over our entire world. The day is coming soon when the complete moral reversal will be seen for what it is. But notice this. There's also going to be a social reversal. Look at verse 52. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Think of who's on the thrones of this world. Think of the politicians. Think of the royalty. Think of the important people. Think of those in positions, again, across our world, in government, in companies, whatever it is. And think of, again, the privilege they think they have, and the power they think they have, and the esteem they think they have. Think of the arrogance, and the pomp, and the pride. Think of all of that. And God says, just wait, just wait, a day is coming soon where that's all going to be turned upside down. Okay, the people that are trying to kind of take control of everything, they will be so, just again, kind of, be encouraged by this. God is encouraging you. Spirit of God is encouraging you right now. We get so concerned, we get so worried. We look around all the injustice. That is going to be dealt with. The day is coming, Jesus Christ will return. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Okay, those in these positions, again, think of all the people maybe you're so frustrated with. If they don't turn to Christ, man, they're in trouble. They're in trouble. And the smallest, weakest, most forgotten, disdained, persecuted, abandoned person on the side of the road who loves Jesus Christ, they will have the first spot in the line to heaven. That's awesome. That's what the Lord does. His sovereignty. There's going to be a moral reversal, a social revolution, and notice this, there's going to be a spiritual revolution. Reversal as well, verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. You know what that means? It means this. If you live for the world, this is your reward, man. If you're living for earthly riches, if all you want to do is kind of attain and, and gather some more stuff here on earth, you'll be sent away empty. Because you store up treasures on earth, man, moth and rust will destroy. However, if you are spiritually hungry, and if you hunger, again, hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be satisfied, Matthew chapter 5. See what Jesus is saying here? You live for the world, hey, just enjoy it because it's, that's, that's all you got. That's your reward, man. It's done. If all you're living for right now is that, just again, enjoy it as much as you can. But it's hard to enjoy because it gets so empty so quickly. But the day comes when Jesus Christ returns and it's all seen for what it is. Boop, zero, nothing. But then in Jesus Christ, when you hunger for spiritual things, there's a waiting, there's a perseverance, there's a, there's a cost to that. It's difficult at times, isn't it? And you're trying to seek him and can you hunger for him. But ultimately, we're satisfied now and we'll be satisfied then. How much Mary's prophetic word aligns with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed, essentially, are those who are nothing, for they shall become everything in Jesus Christ. And those who think they're something, they will be humbled to find out they are nothing. Because they have rejected Jesus Christ, the sovereignty of God, shouting out through the Christmas story. Not to mention, by the way, a real practical biblical example of God's sovereignty in the Christmas narrative. Luke 2 verse 1, Caesar Augustus calls a census. He's the most powerful ruler in the world at that time, at least in his eyes. God is sovereign over him. Why did Caesar Augustus call a census? Well, the reality was, because he's really a puppet of God, and what really needed to happen was uh, God's Son, being formed in the womb of Mary, was currently in Nazareth, and as was prophesied and promised hundreds of years before his son was to be born in Bethlehem in the tribe of Judah and to to see those promises and prophecies fulfilled. And so when the time came, Caesar Augustus in his pride probably sends out an order, but in reality this is God working again over all of this earth to orchestrate his plan according to his will. And that's why we have Micah chapter 5 verse 2 again prophesied hundreds of years before this happened. Oh, you Bethlehem Epaphrath, you who are too little to be among the clans of judah from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler jesus christ in israel whose coming forth is from of old from ancient of days and remember Caesar augustus you will do a census because this prophecy needs to be fulfilled because our god is sovereign over this entire world now think about it now as well okay we're living in a day we're tempted with fear and worry And anxiety. And we're looking at our culture. And we're looking at society. And we can start biting our nails. And we become so concerned of all that's happening around us. But remember, the same God who sovereignly orchestrated the first coming of Jesus is the same God who's sovereignly orchestrating the second coming of Jesus. And could it be that the very things we are most distraught over across this world right now are the very elements of the hand of God in ways that we cannot see where He is preparing for His Son to return and finally deal once and for all for all sin and injustice and death itself forever and we when we see him come riding on the clouds and we see our god is sovereign our god is sovereign let the reality of the future become your blessing in the present that there's nothing our god's not in control of and no one can thwart his plans thank you for clapping i needed to breathe but think about what's happening right now, right? Look at what's going on according to our awesome God. What happens is when we see this, like even right now, so many of our minds are being renewed. Even mine, as I do this for the third time, when you see this and you're like, it's, it's just true. It's true. You're so good and you're on your throne and you're reigning with your feet up, and you're not biting your nails, and you're not pacing with anxiety like we do. No, you are perfectly in charge, and we worship you because of it. That's why Mary sings. She's never seen so clearly, and all of a sudden, fear flees, and peace and faith and rest fills the gap and that leads us to our fourth and final point. Just briefly. Perspective's so powerful. This all makes sense now because it rests on God's promises. I did, even that word rest, rest. Who's restless? Like who here right now, man, you're just so burdened and you're just so filled with anxiety or stress or just like or who here right now, you just don't have peace. Like there's just no peace. You are biting your nails and you are pacing around all the time. And I want you to see, maybe we come to this moment right here. The more clearly you see, the more rest you will have. But notice resting, the 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 whole thing that Mary's doing through this whole thing, she's basically just calling out a promise, and then she's like, Yep, true. God promised this, yep, true. God will always be faithful to his promises. If you look at verse 53 or 54, God has helped his servant Israel just as he promised in remembrance of his mercy, just as he promised, as he spoke to our fathers, as he said and promised, to Abraham, as he promised, to his offspring forever, as he promised. Notice what she's doing. She's applying the faithfulness and promises of God in the past to her present, and now looking ahead to the future, offspring forever. Okay? Who are Abraham's offspring? Everyone who is alive in Jesus Christ. The spiritual offspring of Abraham is everyone born again in Jesus Christ right now. And so the promises of God are true to Abraham, they're true to Mary, and they're true to us. When you, when you, there's over 000, or there's 5,000 promises in Scripture that God makes, and he'll keep every single one. The more we gaze and fix our eyes on the promises of God, and the more we trust in him, and who he is, and who he says he is, and what he will do, the more we find rest. Jesus says, Matthew 11, come to me all who are heavy and weary, and I will give you rest. He's... He's talking about ultimate salvation. And I will give you rest. Perspective. Perspective. like It's so powerful. And in the end, the more clearly we see, listen, the more loudly we should sing. Because we have every reason in the world. Hey, this song, um, this next seven or eight days, less chaos, more Christ. You know, less busying ourselves around and like more perspective. Use this as a launching pad right now. The final question I ask you and then I'm gonna pray is this. The question is this. What is the Holy Spirit asking of you right now? I mean that in all sincerity. Maybe you want to close your eyes right now. Maybe you just want to bow your head. Maybe you just want to stop everything and just be like, and just again, the Holy Spirit is alive and real. He loves you infinitely. He wants to speak to you. What is the Holy Spirit asking of you right now? The Holy Spirit, speak to your church. Take some time, loved ones. Just just take a few seconds. What is the Holy Spirit asking of you? right now. And remember, at some point, at some point, obedience is absolutely everything. To take the initiative, to pursue our God, to see him, to love him, to have passion for him, to declare his sovereignty, to be aware of his blessing, and to stand and rest and rest on his promises. So, Lord, in this moment of prayer right now, I do pray, Holy Spirit, you are speaking. I pray that you are immensely encouraging. I pray that you are loving as you do. I pray you are renewing and refining. I pray you are reviving. Speak, Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Lift us from the temporal and let us gaze upon the eternal. Yes, Jesus. Lead us and help us even now, Lord, to have a a climax of this service in the song that we get to sing, sharing the heart of Mary for the love of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name.